and welcome to Four Points Online. We are so honored that you are joining us today. And if God is using this ministry to change your life, please let us know at fourpoints.org slash my story. It is because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. And if you would like to give and be a part of what God is doing, then visit fourpoints.org and select the safe and secure option, or you can download our app and choose to give there as well. Again, we are so excited to get ready to hear a powerful message from God's Word. Blessings to you. Is anybody ready for a word today? I just need to know in here. Is anybody ready? Nope. I'll sit here for 20 minutes. I don't have... <laughs> that, that hurts my heart, y'all. I don't know if y'all stayed out late last night watching a game or what, but I hope y'all are more ready than that. Is anybody ready for the word today? Come on. I'm excited, y'all. This series has me pumped up, and today's in particular has me excited. So I want to tell you kind of what we're going to do, and then I'm going to jump right in. Um, God's really led me to do um, the miracles in John. And so we're going we're gonna to look at and marvel at, haha, <laughs> y'all see what I did? We're going we're gonna to look at what God did, but here's what I want y'all to do, is we're going to look at them a little bit different. I'm not going to change the miracles because they're awesome in themselves, but I want, I want us to see what they mean and then apply them to our lives. What did God really do? Why was he doing this? What, and what is it for us to understand? So week one is the first miracle in John. And I want you to know that the title of the message is how Jesus deals with our disappointment is what I think the first miracle is about. Jesus deals with our disappointment. Now, disappointment, I'm going to talk about this for a second because I'm going to help some people in here. Disappointment is sadness or anxiety with unmet expectations. Huh. Show of hands, Gamecock fans, let me see your hands. Don't say nothing. We don't need any booze. Okay, so that's almost half the people. <laughs> I'm just telling you, like, yesterday I'm happy, okay? It's good. But two years ago when we lost to the Citadel, it was not good. Come on now, you. it's okay to not stay silent now. Like, I don't have real high expectations sometimes, but I expect to be El Cid, if y'all know what I'm talking about, like, that's the citadel if y'all aren't with me. But like, and then I just have to just keep going. I'm, I'm a, I couldn't find it. I'm a Gamecock fan, so <laughs> I'm not trying to hide it. But the other part of my football is the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> there's, there, there's four in the upstate and they're all here. <laughs> Look, let me just tell y'all something. My pops is from Buffalo, and can I just be honest with y'all about something? I, I love the Bills, and I'm excited to sort of watch them today when I'm not, 
They got a chance to win. It's the Jets. So this, they're going to win like three this year, and we can get this one. But this is what I think. So, Dad, I'm looking at you, and I'm sort of calling you out. Why couldn't you be from, like, New England? I, no, listen, don't clap because I can't stand them. Praise the Lord for the Chiefs. I can't stand Tom Brady. But, but I think to myself this. We couldn't be from Pittsburgh? The Steelers, they make songs. The Pittsburgh Steelers won the Super Bowl. Let me tell you about the song with the Bills. We went 0 for 4. Young people, listen to me. Four straight Super Bowls. 91 Super Bowl, 92 Super Bowl, 93 Super Bowl. Guess what? We're back. 94 Super Bowl. L, 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 L. And then here's even better news. They ain't even been to the playoffs this millennia. 99. I don't even have expectations anymore, but I'm still <laughs> disappointed. It hurts my heart. Oh. Pittsburgh, something pops. What's the deal? But in our lives, the reality is that most of the time, unrealistic expectations lead us to a lot of heartache. In marriage, I say this every time I'm counseling a couple. So if you ever come in and hang out with us, you'll hear this. Just forget that I said it right now if you're going to hang out with us. But I always say this. I find that the problem in marriage most of the time is unrealistic expectations one to the other and vice versa. Unrealistic expectations lead to a great deal of disappointment. And I'm just telling you, I don't know if y'all feel this way. A disappointment or disappointing life in marriage is not good. I know that is breakthrough. Y'all feel like this is revelation, pastor. This is unbelievable. But the reality is we all feel this weird tension of, I'm just disappointed in how he's acting. I'm disappointed in how she's doing. At work, we feel this disappointment because we expect our boss to be something. And by the way, if he's been the same thing for five years, chances are he's still going to be the same thing. So when we go in and we're like, you know what? He's had a whole summer. Now he's going to be better. Nah, you know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus can deal with them, but if he doesn't, it's going to be the same. And so most of the time, our reason for disappointment is because we go in with these huge expectations. And then we leave and we walk away disappointed. And I'm not saying you should be hopeless. I'm saying we should be realist. That we should go in and say, sometimes Leah's going to be in a bad mood. She's not in here, so I can talk about her. Sometimes Leah's going to be in a bad mood. And if I'm not okay with that, I've come in with an unrealistic expectation expecting her to be perfect. Right. Communication is hilarious, by the way, in marriage because at some point and at some level, communication breakdowns are always the problem. Whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's any other stuff, it's communication that broke down. Yeah. And so, so most of the time when people say that there's one talker and there's one silent, come on, don't, don't say silent on me now, even the silent people. <laughs> Y'all with me? And so... so the talker gets mad at the silent person because they're not talking, and they've never talked. And then they filibuster their spouse, and they never let them talk. They answer for them. That's me, y'all. I'm just going to tell you. And then the other side gets mad because the person talks all the time. And I look and go, what? Have y'all set yourselves up for failure, or are you trying to come their way? Do you understand that the only person that you can change is you? And any time that I get mad at you, and say that you stole my joy, it's a me problem. 
because I've put unrealistic and unmet expectations on you that are not, truly, they're just not fair. Because if I'd just be me and be comfortable being me, I could leave this life of disappointment. But the real way for us to leave the life of disappointment is to understand the life of Jesus and then to look at him and to get close to him. And so the first miracle that we're going to look at is Jesus turning the water to wine. It does not seem like this would be the topic and this would be the theme, but I'm telling you, this is good. So if y'all are ready, we're going to jump in. I want to show y'all three things that Jesus shows us. So we're going to look at this from two different ways in John 2. I want to show you two different things. The first one is that we can see the characteristic or the way that Jesus carried himself. And, and if you'll take notes and you'll take this away, I really believe this can help you not live a life. Y'all say it out loud, not live a life of disappointment. disappointment because most of the time we know what we're supposed to be. And when we feel this call or this pull in our lives, we want everybody else to recognize us for what we think we are. So we jump levels in our lives. I don't know that there's a better picture in Scripture than Jesus right here and how to not do that and how to do it the right way. And so I want to show you three different, three different people, basically, that Jesus put on, three different, three different scenarios in, in one small passage that Jesus was. He, he took on three different parts, and I want you all to see this. The first one was he took the part of a guest. Someone say guest. Yes. Not the most important person in the party. Not the head dude in charge. He was just a guest. Here's what the Bible says in John 2, starting in verse 1. It says, on the third day, can I teach y'all real quick something cool about this? No one said anything, so I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> Silence is agreement in Jesus' name. <laughs> the third day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday, during the creation in Genesis, God saw that the first day was good. God saw the second day was good. On the third day, he saw it was good, and he saw it was good again. It's the only day in creation. Y'all go look for yourselves. It's the only day in creation where God put a double blessing on it. So back in the Bible days, not today, we don't, I don't know of too many people that get married on Tuesdays unless you went to the Justice of the Peace. Where's my boy? In the back. <clears throat> That's smart, by the way. But I'm just trying to save y'all some money. I love you. But most of the time we do Saturday weddings and it's cool and whatever and maybe Friday, maybe Sunday now, but, but they did it on Tuesday because they believed in the double blessing, the husband and wife. I, I'm not going to really teach on this, but I think that's cool and that's good. That has nothing to do with the message, just power to the people. All right, here we go. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now listen, this reads like the mother of Jesus was there and, and, and apparently studying the historical and, and, and the contextual side of this, that, that his mother was maybe an aunt or maybe someone, but she, she had a role of significance at this wedding. She was an honored guest. That, that's not the same thing as what we said about Jesus in this first part. As a matter of fact, it says Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. This does not imply that Jesus was on the level in the eyes of the people with his mama. And here's what y'all need to know. Up till this point, a few people Mary was one of them, knew what Jesus was and knew what he was going to be. The rest of them saw him as a carpenter, y'all. The rest of them saw him as Joseph's boy. They weren't looking at Jesus going, oh, y'all know who that is. They go, Jesus. <laughs> if there's ever a problem, call 911, but before you do that, call Jesus, right? That, that, they, none of them thought that. This is what they thought when he walked in with his boys. What's up, Jesus? As funny as that sounds, he was just one of the guys. He was just, he was just a guest. 
And, and so many times in our lives, please don't miss this as I continue. Please don't miss this. Imagine being Jesus. At the drop of a hat, you could touch anybody and their lives are changed. He could literally go outside to the lake there in Cana and start walking on the water. And if it was me, I'd probably do that if y'all are okay today. I, I, I know that y'all are real spiritual, but I, I mean, if you could do tricks and stuff, isn't that cool? Like you should do it. But Jesus had this understanding. Now listen, don't miss this. Don't miss this. So many of us want attention that we miss walking into our purpose. And if we're not willing to be a guest first, we may never be the honored one in the room. We all want to receive, look at me, my name's on the back of my jersey, I've made it. But we're not willing to play the part of the team. We're not willing to be just a guest. And we feel this tension of, if they would just notice me. I, like, I've done this before, and if, if I'm the only one, that's cool. I'll just be weird. But I've been in rooms before because I do this for a living. That I thought, God, I got something to say. Let them call on me. They don't call on you. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to go, out of nowhere, Mark, you come up. I'm supposed to just be a guest. Here's the problem. When I'm supposed to be a guest in a setting like this, I'm supposed to be a learner. But I want to be the teacher, so I want everybody to look at me and call on me. And I know most of you in this room realize, and I hope all of you will, that God's put something amazing inside of you and, and that you do have something to say or you do have something to do. But if you can't sit as a learner, you should never stand as the teacher. I'm preaching pretty good today. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the first thing we got to do is understand that Jesus didn't come in saying, look at me. Jesus came in saying, I'm good. And I love what he says right here because the second part, he shifts from guest to a son. I've noticed this. I've noticed that when people get important, they stop wanting to be a son. Jesus was 30, so he wasn't 12. He could have looked at his mama in this context and said, who are you talking to? Jesus. But there's still a level of honor. Even when we leave our parents' house, there's still a level of honor. And there's still a role of son or daughter. There's still a role in our lives that we can walk into without saying, I'm the man. And I just think it's so amazing that Jesus never had that attitude. That he stepped from guest and stepped into son. It says when, in verse 3, when the wine ran out, do y'all know why that was important in that day? Weddings lasted for about five days. And you were kind of known for how you treated your guests. This would have been like at our wedding when we had a reception afterwards not having any food. This would have been like if you have 100 guests and you have table and chairs for 20 people. Everybody in the town's talking about you because you ain't ready. You're not prepared. You look ridiculous. And it, and, and it spreads like wildfire. This is embarrassing. There was an unmet expectation in their lives right here. And it says... The mother of Jesus, who no doubt had something to do with setting it up. The mother of Jesus said to him, they're out of wine. Jesus looked down and said, what's this got to do with me? I'm just a guest. He says, my hour has not yet come. And people miss that and think that Jesus was saying, I'm not going to do this. This is wrong. I believe what Jesus was saying is, listen, I came here as a guest. I don't need the attention I don't have to be the man. I'm okay being the learner. I'm okay just sitting around. I, I, I don't know if this is, 
But he listened to his mama, and I think this is so cool. Look at this. His mother looked at his servants. Now, Jesus had just said to his mama, what's this got to do with me? I don't, I don't know that this is the right time. I'm still enjoying being a learner. I'm not despising the day of small beginnings. I'm not despising being, being 30 and not yet being known. And his mama don't respond to him. His mama said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Y'all know some mamas in here that that's how they act, right? She says, we need your help. Jesus said, I'm not sure it's time. And she don't go, it is time, Jesus. What did I tell you? Don't make me go back to when you know what was happening back in the day. She she doesn't go there. She just looks and says, do whatever he says. She's not even looking at him anymore. But watch this. I don't know about y'all, but I want the Mary kind of faith in my life. Where I can just look and say, just send your word and my servant will be healed. Just, Just say it, Jesus. Hey, I know that my God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine if I'll just do what he says. So do whatever he tells you to do. I want the Mary kind of faith in my life. I don't, I don't want a manipulative faith. I don't, I don't want to have to build something and make sure that it's good. I just want to say whatever God that it is for my life. If everybody leaves and you say to go across the country, do whatever he says and I'll do it. If I'll do that, I don't need anything but him. But the moment that I say, God, I'll do it, but I'm not sure I can't let that go then I don't have that kind of faith. I have faith with strings attached. Can I just tell y'all that that's why I believe a lot of times miracles don't happen? Because we believe he can. We just believe he needs our help. Is anybody in here today? Are y'all with me? We believe he needs our help. And notice that Jesus went from guest to son, and then he shifts to this, the host. Because Jesus didn't force his way down and say, y'all should all be looking at me. Where's my honored table? The goblet should be different in my table. I'm the man. Not only did he not ask for it, he was uncomfortable with it, it appears. But he stepped into his purpose when the time was right. And watch what he says. Watch what happens. It says in verse 6, now there were six stone jars. Six stone jars. I want you to know that the symbolism of the stone jars is you. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that you are clay pots, that you are jars of clay, that I'm a jar of clay, nothing more. And that it's what's inside of me that really matters because if I fix up my stone jar, my clay jar, it's a waste of time. It's just a clay pot. But it holds things that are unbelievable. And they were used for Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 to 30 gallons. So if y'all can picture this, when we baptize people, that's a 150-gallon horse trough. That's what it is. To God be the glory, it is sanctified and set apart. <laughs> but it's a horse trough, 150 gallons. And if you poured these in there, it would just about fill this up. So you can kind of get a mental picture of how much water we're talking about. And so Jesus said to them, to the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them to the brim. Now, I think that we can't miss this part. They didn't fill them halfway, and they didn't fill them three quarters. They filled them to where they were overflowing. And you can picture, this is really heavy. One gallon weighs about eight pounds, and so you can start getting the idea of how much weight we're talking and how much water we're talking. And and this is crazy. And you know the servants were thinking at the time, because this is what we think sometimes. Why would he have me do this? This is ridiculous. Isn't this a little over the top? Because this is just my brain. 
Jesus could have just looked at the water that was sitting down where they dipped it out and put it in there and said, wine. But, but he didn't change water to wine just to do it. Everything Jesus did was on purpose. And that purpose was us and showing what it can be, not what it is. What our lives can be, not just what they are. Watch this. It says that they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some, and take it to the master. So they had filled them up and they had brought them over. And he said, all right, now draw it out. It doesn't say that it was already wine. We did this passion play at my church growing up. It was awesome. I loved it. And we had these big clay pots of water and then we would pour them out. And as they were being poured, you could see the wine. And that was cool and people could see it. And I understand from a, from a showing it off standpoint that we wanted people to see that the water had changed to wine. But that's not what it says happened. It, it doesn't say that there was ever a hocus pocus moment, does it? Talk to me, does it? No, it says, all right, draw the water out. Draw out what's in there. Mm, this is going to be good in a second. And take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it and when the master of the feast tasted it, the, the water now become wine and he did not know where it came from though the servants of course knew because they had filled up the water and the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and he said everyone serves the good wine first because it doesn't even matter at the end of the party it matters at the beginning I'm not even trying to be funny that's the truth right at, at the end we're trying to get everybody to go home I'm tired of you being here you ain't got to go but you got to get the heck up out of here come on y'all know what I'm talking about because they've drunk freely and then they bring out the poor wine because they just want to make sure they don't come out. But you kept the good wine until now. Say good wine. Good. And this was the first of his signs that Jesus did in Galilee. And it manifested, meaning it showed off. It, it outwardly showed his glory. And his disciples, it says that they believed in him. And it's such a cool story just to look at it from the outside. We know that wine is is the picture of the blood of Jesus that Jesus said, every time you take this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And we can, we can look at the wine being all sorts of things, but in the Bible, wine is most of the time symbolism for joy. And so for us to, to take away, we can begin to understand that the first takeaway can be how we're to respond in situations, that I'm okay being a guest and I should still be able to walk in being a son. And when my timing is right, when God sets it up, I'll walk in and be the host. But I don't have to force my way to be that. But then, but then experiencing the miracle, we got to understand what's with this wine. What, what does it really mean? What, what's it all about? Why would this be the first miracle? Why? Because he could have done anything, right? Like if it was up to me, I probably would have gone straight to the last miracle in John and gone, bam, Lazarus, come on out. Now everybody's going to know I'm the man. I'll just do whatever I want now. But he didn't. He did wine. Why would he do that? Because wine was symbolic for joy. Somebody say joy. And this is really the meat of the message. Wine was symbolic for joy. From cover to cover, I read in Isaiah yesterday that the wine was drying up and the joy was leaving. That from cover to cover, this, this wine wasn't a representation of something to get drunk with, but it was a picture of joy. It was a picture of joy. It was what God wants us to live with. So what is joy? Joy... If y'all remember, repeat the sounding joy. If y'all were here at Christmas time, this was the theme. 
And the Greek word for joy is chara, and it means awareness of God's grace. The actual definition is, is a conscious decision to live in contentment in Christ. It's a conscious decision. Listen, who can take my joy? Somebody talk to me. Who can take my joy if I'm constantly aware of the grace of God, if I'm constantly cognizant of who he is, if I'm sitting and resting in Christ alone? Who can take my joy? Say it again. Nobody can take my joy. It's up to me to look at Christ or to look at my circumstances that are surrounding me. And listen to me. I know there's people in this room that you walked in here and sickness has come to your house. That job loss is real. That difficulties come. But when disappointment begins to define our lives, then we're not resting in constant awareness of God's grace. We're hoping he'll sprinkle it on our lives and we can experience joy. Joy isn't something you're supposed to be experiencing. It's something that's supposed to be full. It's something that's supposed to be a daily, everyday, never-leaving contentment that rests on you. It is not happiness because happiness can come and go. And I think most of us think if my team wins tonight, I can be full of joy. If your team wins tonight, you can be happy. But if you're in Christ, you should be full of joy. Actually, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Say it again. Joy. Joy. It's it's, It's part of what we have. It's my right to be full of joy. But I allow things in my life to steal it because I hope Jesus will come tag along with me. I don't let Jesus be my fool. And y'all, this is an everyday struggle. So I began to look at John chapter 15 a little bit differently. And if you don't know it, I'm going to explain it to you a little bit. John chapter 15, the first several verses up to about verse 12 is this, is this story of the vine and the branches. Verse 1 says, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser, the one that keeps the vines. And in this picture, this is absolutely a picture of grapes. Side note, grapes and wine is the same word in the Hebrew. There's not a difference. So whenever you read wine and whenever you read grape, that's the same thing. And so this picture has to be talking about this. It has to be talking about the same kind of context because it's the same writer and it's the same Jesus and it's the same wine. And he says, listen, I'm the vine and my father, God the father is the vine dresser. Now listen, if the vine dresser, if the one that keeps the grapes good isn't allowed to prune it. I feel like I'm just supposed to talk to some people in here in a little conversation. There's some people in your lives that need to be pruned out. But because you hold on, you can't get your joy. Because you're so worried about what if they leave me and they give me this. And if you believe that anybody is your provider other than the Lord Jesus, you're sorely mistaken. And you can be wrong, but you're wrong. Because Jesus is my source. I get paid by four points, but Jesus is my source. He's my provider. He gives me all that I need. And as I said last week, if you were here, even Leah cannot provide for me, only Christ. And so when I put that expectation on her or my kids or anyone else, it's an unmet expectation that leads to guaranteed disappointment. There is only one that can fill my life with joy and end disappointment. That does not mean bad won't happen. It does. That does not mean you'll never feel disappointed. You will. It's a feeling. But the fact is I can can rest in my mind in contentment in the Lord when I look to him. And then look at this. In verse 5 of John 15, it says, I am the vine 
and you are the branches. You're not the ones that provide the food. You're not the ones that provide the, the nutrients. You're not, you're not the actual roots. But you're the ones that produce the fruit. Don't be quiet. You're the ones that produce the fruit. And it says, whoever abides, remains, keeps in, holds fast to, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do? Say it again. Nothing. nothing. The Greek word for nothing means all of it. Are y'all with me? Are y'all with me? Like, I think sometimes we think, yeah, that's cool. And that's a really cool thing. And I don't know why it's like symbolism and it's whatever. But really, really, really. When I walk out, y'all, this week alone, I, I went to Oklahoma City for my coaching network with a couple of my buddies, and it was long days, and flight home, we flew home real late Wednesday, had another thing Thursday, and I mean, we were exhausted by the end of the week. And I had been talking about God all week, but I had neglected, because I had been spending 16 hours and 15 hours and 12 hours talking about God, I had neglected individual time with God. And when I got home and I actually spent some time with Leah on Friday and then yesterday, I was kind of snippy with Leah. That's a weird word. I don't know why I would say, I don't know that Mark has ever been snippy, if I can be real with y'all. I was a jerk. And I just thought about this and thought, you talked about God for four straight days of like long days, but you weren't resting in him. So congratulations, here's a medallion. But you walked out of grace because you tried to add him to your equation. And apart from him, I can do nothing. I think there's people that think that this is cool, but, th but they don't really believe it. And I think I'm one of those people sometimes. That I believe Jesus is awesome and I can preach about him and sweat about him and love it and get crazy. But then sometimes I fail to remember this. That all that I am are one of these little sprouts. All that you are are one of these shoots off of it. That, that Romans chapter 11 says that I've been grafted into the vine, into the branch, into the, into the big trunk. And that my right, if it was proper, if it was, if it was done as it should be, would not be to be able to be a branch off the Lord's family I should be thrown into the fire, broken off, and be one of the things that were pruned. I deserve nothing but separation from God, but God looked at me and saw fit to send Jesus as an opportunity for me to be part of his family when I trust him. And watch this. Do you know that branches don't have to work hard when a healthy root system and a healthy branch or a healthy vine is there? Do you know branches aren't really working hard to produce fruit? Did y'all know that? Somebody talk to me. Did y'all know that? Like branches aren't running marathons to try to produce this fruit. Branches aren't, branches aren't doing CrossFit to God be the glory. To do, I know we got some CrossFitters in here and I love y'all, but <laughs> that ain't me. <laughs> do you know what they do? They take the nutrients from the branch and they trust that the branch will provide all that they need and it produces beautiful fruit. The wine is just an offspring of this, that my joy is just part of this. But when I miss this, I try to produce. Listen, we all have been there. We try to produce it on our own. And then we get mad. Listen, 
This is what the Lord told me as I was laying in bed feeling sorry for myself, saying, I just hadn't spent time with you. I'm the worst. I can't believe this. I've been struggling here, and I've been talking junk here, and I've been doing this here, and I'm the worst, and there's no way you're going to use me and this and that. And God said this to me. Well, if you weren't doing that, was I going to use you? And I went, what you talking about, Willis? And I, and I just felt, I felt this conviction in my heart, but it wasn't shame. Because God said to me, don't forget who you are, buddy. You never were supposed to be this. You know where I think we get ourselves in trouble is we try to be somebody's vine. You're only supposed to be the branch. You don't have to be the vine. Praise be to God. We have an awesome Savior in Jesus who's our vine. And we have an awesome Lord who's our pruner who makes sure that when the weeds come in, he'll take care of them if we look at grace. That whenever I try to just keep a list of do's and don'ts and I try to be my own vine dresser, I get all frustrated with my life and I go, well, I can't keep up with it because I'm not good enough. We're not good enough, but we're only supposed to be the branch. We're only supposed to be the clay pot that is filled. And watch what John said. This, this whole narrative here, y'all, is I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And then watch how this, watch how this story ends. These things I've spoken to you, this is the same story. My goodness, it's so good that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, say it again, full because it's not God's will that you live a half life that you live a life that's not thriving and when people hear that they think well he's just feel good no I'm God good I believe that that's exactly what he called us to do I'm not into feel good I believe you can walk straight out of being full but I believe if you rest in him and his contentment and grace is all that you need and you stop looking saying God look what I've done and you look and say God look what you've done then his joy will be in you and your joy will be full the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. St. John wrote this in John 10, 10. But I've come that you might have life and have it full, abundantly, overflowing. That's why God wants to fill you to the brim. Not so that you can brag about being filled to the brim, but so that your life is overflowing and that it may be full. And here's what I've noticed about when I'm actually full in his grace and his joy is a shift takes place and I begin to understand that I don't have to work hard for this commandment. Next verse, by the way. That we love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I think, I think that sometimes we put such a difficulty on being unified in the body of Christ. We put, this, we put this pressure on ourselves where we're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can love everybody. They get on my nerves sometimes. People are going to get on your nerves. That's called being a human. Are y'all okay? But when his joy is in me and it's overflowing and I live in contentment and rich and in poor, in sickness and in health, in, in marriage, in union with Christ, I will not have to try to love you. I will love you because he loved me first. And the joy will just start, it, it springs out, and it's crazy. And as soon as I take my eyes off of him, I start living in disappointment because I go, you should have done this for me. It's impossible to live a spirit-filled life that takes your eyes off of Jesus. It's impossible. But here's what I came to tell you today. I believe this whole crazy miracle where God let water turn to wine was to show us this amazing picture 
about what it can be. You know, the Bible says that in the kingdom, whoever shall be last shall be first. And that God takes a bunch of jacked up. Now watch this. I'm about to get going. Jacked up clay jars that all their good is for holding purification right water that people have dipped in. Don't nobody want to drink that water because it is nasty. And I look inside of me and I think this, how can you, what is this? But Ezekiel tells me that he takes that heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh. And he takes my old and he makes all things new. And he wasn't trying to make your bad become good. He was trying to take that dead stuff inside and make it come to life because he is greater than all of my past, all of my shame, all of my hurt, all of my fear. And he is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or think. And then I love what Jesus said. This is in Luke and in Matthew. He said, why would I put my new wine in an old wine skin? And I believe that's your heart. And when we try to keep living our lives or keep trying to be good enough, we're keeping that old heart that is stone cold and we're trying to put good wine in when we come in church or when we play a worship song. And Jesus said, enough is enough. Let my love change your life. I'll give you my wine. I'll give you my love and I'll produce this in you. Remain in me. Because my joy can be in you and your joy can be full. So I'm here to tell somebody today to lay down whatever it is that you're holding on to, to kill all the unrealistic expectations and to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. He is the God of miracles and he wants to do the first miracle in you. He wants you to lay your life down at his feet so that he can begin to produce fruit in you. No matter where you go or what you do, your joy will be full because his joy will be in you. I'm here to tell somebody in here that you need to give your life to Jesus right now that he's drawing you. And if you know Jesus, he's ready for you to lay it down. You can lay it down in your seat. You can lay it down here. But God loves you and he's proud of you and he's not worried about your past. He's ready to fill you. Will y'all pray with me? Jesus, we love you so much and I'm so thankful that you turned the water and the disgustingness of my life into fresh joy, into fresh wine that can be poured out so that my joy doesn't just stay with me, but others can experience my joy with me. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that you draw people to yourself with every head bowed and every eye closed. I just wonder if there's anybody in here that would say, I lack joy, I lack peace, I'm miserable in my life, and I feel the Lord pulling on my heart. I want to give my life to Jesus right now. I'm ready to trust him as my savior. Listen, if that's you, I believe God draws you, not Mark. I just want you to throw your hand up and say, Pastor, I feel like you're talking straight to me. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus right now. Come on, wherever you are in the room, just throw your hand up. I see you in the back. Who else? Throw your hand up and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Praise the Lord. If you just threw your hand up and you said yes to Jesus, at the end of the service, I would ask that you'll go back to the prayer wall and we want to help you take your first steps with Christ. How about for everybody else? Can we celebrate that two people just said yes to Jesus in here? Come on. Praise the Lord. I feel this anointing in the room right now that he's he's talking to some of y'all. And so I just feel like with eyes open, we can do this together.
Man, there's disappointment that's really hard. There's people that have been shamed. There's people that have been beaten and abused. There's people that have been, that have been separated and divorced. There's people that have gone through all kinds of hells. But I want you to know that God doesn't prevent the hells from happening. He allows the hells so that you can see how good he is and that your joy may be full in him alone. And so I just need to know, is there anybody in the room that says this right now? And I know it's hard because you're by yourself, but I don't think you're going to be for very long. Pastor, my joy hadn't been full for a long time. And I just want to stand and make a declaration before my brothers and sisters who are unified as the body of Jesus Christ and say, I'm ready for my joy to be full and complete, lacking nothing in Christ alone. Come on, stand to your feet if that's you. Jesus, you see us and we worship you. We are so thankful for what you've done. And today we lift our hands to our Father, to our vine dresser, and we say, God, whatever it is that you need to shift, we open our hearts up and we say, our joy is full because your joy is in us. We love you, Jesus, and we're so thankful for your move in this place today. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, somebody said, amen. Y'all stand with us.